Hey, Steve is going to be a little bit different this time because we don't have Steve. He is off busy being a family guy. He's off busy, you know, having kids and a wife. Instead, I have my good buddy Nolan here. Introduce yourself, Nolan. Hello, I am Nolan. Now, Nolan, you've probably heard us you've probably heard us mention Nolan in the past, uh, whenever we're talking about like Destiny or something. He is our multiplayer buddy. He's been for several years now. And of course I've known him since I was on Wii Sixty back in college and he was high school. So it's been it's been a long time. And um as such Every once in a while, me and him play games that me and that that Steve doesn't get around to. Like me and him last, me and Nolan last year played Resident Evil Six. We played Resident Evil Five. Uh, I tortured, I suffered him through both of those, and then asked him to suffer through Resident Evil Five again during a stream. Um, and lately, he's been my co-op partner for Bloodborne, which led us both towards playing. Darksiders 3 because I was actually interested in Bloodborne. I was like, I want to play a little bit more of this since I can't do a lot of single player content because we were starting to do it for a stream by then. So we both played Darksiders 3 and for me it's a game I really like. It's... I don't know if I like it better than the first one or not but basically the first and third games of Darksiders are my favorites in the franchise. And for Nolan, his reaction was very interesting and... Well, summarize for me, Nolan. What did you think overall of Darksiders 3? Overall, I enjoyed it. Uh, initially, though, the because I first heard it described as a Souls-like by you. Yes. So I was kind of expecting that a little bit more, but it doesn't quite hit the same style of combat as other Souls-likes. Like, it relies a lot more on timing your dodges perfectly to be able to get the counterattack. That it does. And so it's it's more character action than souls like and it just it took a very long time to click with me how to play it properly and not just get destroyed by weak enemies. Now the interesting thing for me is when I first played it in its year of release, which was 2018, like towards the end there, when I first played it it also took a while for it to click with me. But for slightly different reasons. I think maybe informing you that it was Souls-like was a disservice. Because you're right, it's it's definitely got a lot of character action when it comes to the actual design of the combat. But I remember my first reactions to it. And even when I was talking about, like, when they, they introduced that they were going to provide a traditional control scheme method and I remember like arguing in some ways like nah I feel like that gets rid of some of what makes the game work it's blah 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 it'll be too easy and someone told me it's like that those are the exact arguments people have about introducing a difficulty uh, selection in Dark Souls so like I tried to avoid the comparisons myself when I first played and there was also just a bit of an ignorance when I described my first playthrough, but people were basically telling me, oh yeah, that's Dark Souls. That's Dark Souls. Yeah, that's exactly how Dark Souls works. So I think, in some ways, our initial reactions help beg the question of what does it mean to even be a Souls-like, considering Darksiders 3 has some of those elements, but also has a lot of Metroid DNA going through it in ways that the Soulsborne games 
don't. And that's another thing, like, a lot of people have told me, like, the Soulsborne, it's like, oh, you might like them, they got some Metroidvania in them. And they do. And I've discussed with you a little bit about how what Metroid could learn from some of the map design, but with Darksiders 3, I think it's because of that upgrade mechanic element that you have this... Like, you have character action and you have these upgrades, and I think they diminish the more obvious comparisons. Um, I think mostly it's the character action because the Souls games all have the upgrade component themselves. Do they? Well, yeah, I mean, we've been upgrading our weapons in Bloodborne. Mm, that's a little bit different, though, because you'll, you'll get an item that acts like a key, but it's like a role-playing game key. Like, if, if you, if you want to move forward to a new zone, you don't need, like, the fireball ability. You don't need um, to get some special oh, okay. weapon I'm attack sorry. ability. I didn't realize you meant uh, item upgrades. Power like ups, yeah, it's, uh, abilities. Getting, getting like new that. abilities. Yeah. Which that, is much more Metroid than Souls like. Yeah, and that's what Darksiders 3 also implements, sometimes to the point of being a direct ripoff of um, Metroid. Um, or Darksiders what? 3, I think. Did I say Darksiders 3? I don't know. I, I screw up what I'm saying all the time. Um, yeah, it happens. But Darksiders 3 has that sort of like, oh, here you have the spider ball element, or you have the gravity suit kind of design. And these right. things open up new abilities and open up new areas that you couldn't explore before, whereas Bloodborne, at least, takes those ideas where you have to defeat this boss, but then you just get, like, a key item. It doesn't give you any new abilities, you just get a key item that now unlocks a door over here, which... Or changes the world state. Or changes the world state, that is true. Um, and so it's... It's like... In a way, it's still very Metroidvania, but it's also more broadly video game, because like role-playing games, that Legend of Zelda does that, right? Um, yeah. You, you get key items that there, there you go, you now can unlock this area. Or Doom, with literally colored keys. So it, it, it feels in that regard that it's that Darksiders 3 takes that new approach and, and is more like what the original Darksiders was, right? The original Darksiders was an amalgamation of genres with Zelda being one of the prominent ones that people compared, but then the combat had that character uh, character action style that made people think, oh, it's God of War meets Legend of Zelda. And you also had some of the Prince of Persia elements, but then they were also very shamelessly taking the portal gun. So Darksiders is kind of a franchise built upon grabbing from all kinds of prominent games and mashing them together and i think maybe one of the reasons i like darksiders 3 so much is i feel like it's the cleanest fusion of those things because the prominent games are like devil may cry slash bayonetta um dark souls bloodborne and metroid prime those are the three primary games being fused together here and I think it works just better than other games. Um, but what would what would you say in that regard? Because again, it took a while for you to for it to click, for everything to work together for you. Um, I think that making it such an amalgamation kind of weakens some of their systems. Like 
playing Bay, going back to Bayonetta and the dodge mechanics, it's very tight timing, but it feels very good to do. And early in the game, you're pulling off perfect dodges and getting the witch time mode to attack with. And Darksiders 3, the, the dodge window doesn't feel good. I was thinking about that, actually, because I didn't... For some reason, I so, never really thought too much about the Bayonetta comparison, but like today, this morning, I was thinking about how, yeah, that, that, that bullet time slowdown is very Bayonetta-esque, but more... Like, with Bayonetta, which time is the reward for the perfect dodge? Right. Here, that brief slowdown is more feedback. It's more making it clear to the player, you've done the perfect dodge, now use your counterattack. Um, it feels like it's giving you that window, so you know you can just go in and you use your either your arcane special or just your regular attack special uh well they're both arcane either way but um it feels so so it's like a different implementation in that regard it's not executing it with the same purpose in mind as bayonetta right and bayonetta is also going more for long combos and this is it has combos, but it's more of a get in, get a few hits, get out, you know, dodge, get some more hits. Yeah, I found that too myself. Um, mostly it just, it, it feels like it needed a little bit more polish. And I, um, of note, the two different ways of playing the game is that you can go with the no dodge canceling original control method or traditional, yeah. Well, the they way call it I default, played, yeah. yeah, the way I played was um, being able to dodge cancel out of my attacks, and it felt a little bit better, but not quite bayonetta level. I can see that. It also, I'm wondering too, because I know bayonetta actually has a very slim window on the timing of perfect dot well maybe it doesn't have that slim of a window i feel like the 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 timing on bayonetta is pretty tight but for perfect dodges it's pretty tight but regular dodges that you'll miss the damage it's a bit more open and i feel like both windows in darksiders 3 are much tighter now which you said you played on the normal difficulty yes all right, because when Whatever. you first start, there's four difficulty levels. There's the story mode, um, the normal mode. I forget the third level. That's what I played it on. I think they call it balanced, or was balanced the lower one? I think balanced is normal, and then Ar- not Armageddon, but Armageddon's like there's like an Armageddon. Top. Yeah, there's so many different names, and none of them are like straightforward. But I basically played, like, like I did Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, I played like the third level of difficulty, which I think is what I played when I first did it in 2018. And I definitely also do think this game does better on a replay. Like a lot of people these days will play a game once and then be done with it. And I think most games benefit from a replay, but this one definitely. Once you understand what it is, what it's going for, you can then start again. And that's probably true of most uh, character action or Soulsborne-style games, because these are meant to be played through multiple times to be learned, to be studied. So when you, like your first time, you kind of thrash about at it, figure out what you're doing, and then 
move forward. And then after that, you know, you go back and you replay. And when you know what you're doing, it's like, oh, man, look at how good I am. I haven't died yet. Blah, blah, blah. And all that stuff. Right. You usually start over with some sort of new game plus type mechanic and go up difficulty level or go up two difficulty levels and see how you do. Yeah. Which Darksiders 3, actually, the new game plus was added um, as a patch. Yeah, a lot of stuff was added as a patch. A few months afterwards. It's funny because I played the game before that patch and I never got around to it, uh, to trying it out again until... And I played it off of the... um, the Xbox Game Pass. So even though I still have it on PS4, I decided whatever, Xbox Game Pass, I could just load it up without having to mess with the disc and all that and played through a clean save and actually managed to complete more than I did when I first played it because I never found all the humans. I never maxed out one of the weapon upgrades um, or no, no, I never maxed out like five of them or something like that. I don't remember. But I managed to get a lot more stuff on this playthrough because I was able to just sit back and enjoy it more. I wasn't rushing it. There weren't any other big games releasing that I really cared about. I just wanted to play the game and have fun and take your time and yeah, see I, everything. I also lost track of why I even went on that tangent. So, <laughs> um, oh yes, uh, but that, we were talking the, about new game plus. That's why. Yes, and going back into playing it and. This time I might be able to new. I might go back and new game plus it. We'll see. But yeah, that was something that was added. And as you said, like the what they called traditional control, because the original is default, which is no dodge canceling. So if you are in the middle of an attack, you have to commit. Um, and then the traditional is you can cancel out of a dodge in the middle of an attack. So right. I I never played that mode. Um, if I play on a higher difficulty, I might. Because as I told you, on the third highest difficulty, it felt it felt like what it ought to be at when it comes to the timing of the perfect dodge and when it comes to just how much damage you'll take versus how much you'll deal. And to crank that up further... To, to narrow that dodge window even further, to make enemies hit harder and stuff like that, I feel like it would wreck a lot of that balance out. I feel like you'd end up, it would be too frustrating. It wouldn't be fun anymore. So I think on a new game plus, I would actually remove that. To, I would change from the default to the dodge cancel. Now, wasn't there some? Oh, the other thing was also the amount, uh, the item usage, right? Isn't it supposed to be instant? Yes, it does change to instant on uh, traditional. So that was another thing that was interesting. And that, again, like bouncing between these games now, I actually found it interesting that for a faster-paced game, they did go more the dark, uh, dark souls route, where item usage takes more time. Um, the it, amount of time it gives it, it higher risk and reward, though. Kind of a thing. You have to risk healing mm-hmm. yourself or buffing yourself, but reward is there. To an extent, because you can buff yourself before even jumping into combat, and then, you know, wait for your item usage cooldown to shift, or just buff yourself and get your healing item ready and dive into the fight. Um, 
And I'm usually thinking of like boss fights and stuff. That's where I usually use the buffs, uh, the buffing items. But you're right, Dark, so uh, Dark Souls doesn't have as much of that, do they? Like Bloodborne does, like, but it's it takes the form of like the bolt paper or the fire paper, where uh, it's a buff, but it doesn't seem to be like the biggest. Dark Souls does, okay. and it it's um I'm pretty sure Bloodborne like putting on the fire paper, the bolt paper, you're able to keep moving, albeit very slowly. In Dark yes. Souls, you, you stop to apply different buffs or cast magic. That's what's the interesting thing, because, again, like Bloodborne, which is more combat-oriented, like more action-oriented than Dark Souls feels like. Like They, they all have combat, they all have fighting, but you're not going to have um, weapons bouncing off the walls like you do in Dark Souls. You're going to be able to move when you heal yourself. And not only can you move like, or use the ball paper or use any of that stuff, you can move at the same time. But when you heal yourself, it's a quick like jab and then you're healed. It's a really right. quick thing versus Darksiders wow. 3, which again is a faster paced combat game. And yet... Fury will stop and take a slow animation to heal herself or use any of those buff items even though there's less window of time to do that. So it's an interesting choice that that one they might have wanted to take more influence from Bloodborne than they did with Dark Souls because I think like even Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order which for me like I know you didn't play that one, right? Correct. And that one also got some Dark Souls comparisons, especially in the press. It's definitely got the influence there. It's got Metroid Prime influence there. But I feel like Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is like doing the same things that Darksiders 3 tried, but did it wrong. I feel like Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is where you take these elements and don't really combine them to work well together. Versus Darksiders 3 it works a lot better for the most part. Like, most of what you've got working there feels good to me compared to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, but even then, if you wanted to use one of your healing items, the Stim Pack, it was a quick grab and stab. Like, it's... It's possibly faster or as fast as Bloodborne in timing. So, that's where I think Darksiders 3 would have possibly had a greater benefit. Maybe reduce the amount of health that you can heal instead. But or, or maybe make other adjustments to cooldowns or something, but I do think it would have benefited. But, all of that said, the game usually still had moments where I could, like, roll away, dodge, and still heal or something, or do, like, take five kind of a thing. Um, but I think that's also where, in your mind, where do you sit with the boss Because originally you weren't so impressed with the boss fight designs, or rather it seemed like they had more... Did you say they had more obvious patterns? Or... Um, well, the... It's not that I wasn't uh, unimpressed with them. It was just little bits of frustration with... Um, was it Sloth, I think? It was yes. a little bit frustrating. Like, his... You know, it's obvious when he's about to make a swing. And this is true for a lot of the normal enemies. That it just... It feels like their wind-up... And then they start moving, and then sometime after that, you're supposed to dodge, and just something didn't quite jive. I can't really pinpoint it. Did you ever and get I, used to? And I ran into, 
I did. But I ran into that with most of the bosses. Hmm. Like, Sloth is probably the most egregious. Sloth is weird because he's, he's got more reach than he seems like he ought to have. Yeah, that was definitely... Because his wide swing went probably 220 degrees around him, if not yeah. more. It, it, and it's not even just that. Like, a wide swing's fine, but it, a wide swing should be more shallow. But this was, like, wide and far-reaching forward kind of a thing. So if you didn't get that dodge timing perfect, you still got hit kind of a thing. Um, so was there anything you wanted to bring up? Because as I said, like, right now I'm going kind of off the cuff. I'm just discussing as I normally do with Steve. But is there yeah. anything in particular you wanted to bring up, like a gripe or something that you enjoyed about it? Oh, gripe. Um, <laughs> I don't really have any super specific gripes. I mean, you know, overall, I enjoyed the game. Um, like, specific uh, enjoyments of it. The story it might not be superbly written, but overall, I think they did a, a good job of bringing back the Darksiders universe. I mean, because... What was the time length between this game and Darksiders 2? Ooh, pretty big because... Um, like six Th years? They had just released uh, Darksiders 2 when THQ was starting to go... Went under. Go, go, go under, yeah. And if you watch the Darksiders documentary by Gamumentary, one of the things that they'll describe is they had stuff that were in pre-production. You know, they were prototyping, but they didn't really have anything being developed and when all the other studios and IP were getting swallowed up um, it was kind of like a bargain bin day like you, you go there for a project that's already half or three quarters completed buy it on the cheap invest barely anything into its development and then reap all the rewards so that's why you know you get Saints Row I think it was Saints Row 4 wasn't finished yet but that got swallowed up by somebody by like Deep Silver or was it Saints Row 3 this was long ago. Uh, it was ago. four. It was four because three was still, um, I think, THQ? released and published by THQ and Volition. All right, because then Deep Silver and, like swallowed that up so they could get Saints Row Four out, and Saints Row Four was already like mostly developed by then. Um, yeah. A whole bunch of other games were grabbed, but Dark Siders wasn't because it wasn't the biggest. Like it was a successful intellectual property but not like a big money grabber so it was more of a risk to like okay we're gonna buy the studio we're gonna buy this like the ip ended up going of course to thq nordic who used to be just nordic and thq nordic has really been trying to bring back all of those thq properties i mean that's why you got a spongebob game coming out this summer right and they also announced like the nickelodeon kart racers even the shovelware that THQ had tried to step away from that led to Darksiders, you know, um, they're trying to bring back, and they're trying to bring back Destroy All Humans, so that it was through THQ Nordic grabbing Gunfire Games, but I think, and that's where it does come down to polish, because when Gunfire Games announced that they were developing Darksiders 3, which was some of the original members of the original Darksiders team, right? It was some of the original members of Vigil. Um, it was announced in, like, 
2016 like it didn't feel like it was a very long development cycle like they announced it real quick they showed really early prototype footage and a lot of people were kind of wary on it but then the game came out and when i think about the size of this game and the amount of content in the amount of time that they put it out it's kind of impressive but it's also why you have the occasional like oh the game just completely crashed on me moments I think they removed, like, through patches. They shored up the uh, crashes quite a bit. Oh, yeah, but, it's definitely, I, I can tell you right now, it's definitely in a better position than it was at launch. But, but all the same, that's a testament of how well they did with a property that was effectively in limbo. Yeah, no one knew what was going to happen to it. And with this and Darksiders Genesis... It does show that THQ Nordic is definitely dedicated to the franchise, which I think is a one of the things that makes me excited is because I know this is not like really, these aren't the greatest games, but like Darksiders 1 and 3 specifically appeal to me because it's like this is everything you love about stuff, like be it video game design or just aesthetics or whatever, shoved into a video game. And Darksiders 2, even if I don't like the loot-based element to it, and if I think it drags on too long, I really like Darksiders 2 because a lot of it still speaks to that interest. Like, these games feel personally designed for me, and just the fact that they're this smaller, mid-budget level game that are able to exist without having to be the biggest... Like, they're a niche title. They're a niche. They're not, like, an obvious kind of, like... They're not like visual novels are a niche. They're a niche in that... Not they're everyone's not going to be the going biggest sellers. Them. Yeah, but it's like they're 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 still really good, well well put together, well thought out games for the most part. Even my like where, where I think like Darksiders Two is probably the lowest of them. There's still a lot of really good stuff going on there, especially in Death's Mobility. Like that's the game where it's most fun to climb around the environments. So yeah, Darksiders Three being able to live again and actually you know be put out there. And I just remembered a moment to gripe about. And it's funny because I completely forgot about it until I looked at the horizon. Um, when you're in the last general area, Ra uh, Wrath's area. Okay. The tornado. Ah, yes. Yeah, the tornado was interesting. I didn't hate the tornado, but a lot of the times it's like if you run from where you are, a little bit too early or a little bit too late, it's going to kill you before you get to another safe spot. Yes. It was really and odd the first time, especially... Oh, well, also my part, my problem was you, you explained yourself. You're like, the first thing I do in a game is look for a sprint button. I missed wherever they told you about a sprint button. So the whole game I'm playing without sprint, and I felt like for the most part I didn't need it. I never really felt like I wanted a sprint button, but... Um, Even wind sprinting, I felt like I was moving too slow. <laughs> but yeah, that that was part of where it's like, okay, you got to time this right and sprint to the safe zone. And it was kind of, and it's weird too how just being underground, if you use the gravity, you can resist the 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 current while you're going through the sewers and everything, and the air is just sucking up through the grate. But right. when you're on the actual surface, that doesn't work. That logic doesn't work. It's very selective. Um, yeah, it, well, 
I'm going to go with the theory that it's like a real tornado and you're quote-unquote safe in a basement. You're, you're far enough down below the suction that the gravity's strong enough, and if you're on the surface, it's not strong enough. Even if you immediately get out of force mode, you get sucked right up into the grate? Yeah, I don't know. Science. <laughs> I mean, logic, logically speaking, I don't actually know how some of that stuff works literally anyway, but... Um, no, otherwise, I think that's one of those areas, again, where going back another like, on a replay, you might remember better. Like, I probably will remember now, you know, third time going into the game, it's like, oh yeah, there's a sprint button in this, and knowing to sprint. Um, but... And that actually is a question, too. It's like, would you go back and replay this? Oh, yeah. I, okay. um, I was going to say earlier, I actually did start the New Game Plus a little bit and went through... Uh, I got back to the Maker Tree, playing New Game Plus and on the uh, harder difficulty. The fourth hardest, I believe. Ooh. Which so, is, how, how are you finding that? Even with keeping all of your levels and some of the gear and whatnot, um, it is a big spike in difficulty. Okay, interesting. I'll have to keep that in mind. Because um, this is this feels like a game that I might want to try and get as many achievements as possible in. Um, even though they did release DLC, I haven't played any of the DLC yet. I don't know if any of it's really story-based or not. Um, I which I think some of it is, and I that's something else in the new game plus is um, upgrading your armor. You'll start finding new items for upgrading your armor, actually. That explains that achievement. Like, I knew there were some DLC achievements, and I was like, I didn't find anything for upgrading armor. Yeah. Um, which I was actually, that's the weird thing. I didn't find anything regarding abyssal armor in the game. And with Dark You'll Siders start finding two, pieces in the new game plus. Well, there you go. Okay. Um... Because Abyssal Armor was a big deal in the first two, yeah. So, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything other gameplay-wise. I mean, I guess world design itself. Um, which World design actually, is good. I, well, there was one thing that I remember touching on, which was every area, for the most part, looks unique. You could tell one zone apart from the next. But every once in a while, you'd have mostly the sort of, like, underground grave areas. They didn't always connect to the same underground grave zone kind of a thing. So for me, like, one of the things that would have helped a little bit in keeping track... Because this game has no map. Just like Dark Souls or Bloodborne, you don't have a map of the game world. Right. So you have to keep everything kind of in your brain as you're playing it. And there are a number of areas, I'd say, don't differentiate themselves enough. Like, again, there are some chambers like, um, like the Hollows chamber, like, uh, or the Lord of Hollows, like his whole area, where it's this big underground kind of semi-Gothic castle filled with undead. When yeah. you're going down into the um, swamp area, like the Bonelands, when you're going down into the Bonelands, you pass through a zone that looks just like that. And when I'm trying to figure out, okay, where do these areas all connect? There are two completely different areas where you drop down into a similar looking chamber with those textures and yet go to completely different parts of the world. So 
there are some areas where they could have really worked on that differentiation where a connecting room should have a very clear like because that's the thing i remember the church and i know the church leads to the bone lands um yeah and i know the church and also leads from that big area that opens up and you got the two big like uh burly guys big blue burly guys like some of these areas stand out in a way that it's like i remember that landmark and i know how it connects to the rest of the world even if i don't remember the specific middle passages but some of those connecting zones and connecting areas started to blur together in a way that it's like okay where am i, I? yeah it's like I, I where am i in relation to the rest of the world and where i've already explored and where i need to go yeah and i think that's something that uh, like Dark Souls and Bloodborne do better, even though they'll reuse assets plenty. I mean, there's plenty of connecting corridors in Bloodborne that look very similar or the same as other ones, but somehow it, it's, it still makes more sense to me. It's I know where I am and where I'm about to go. It's not quite as labyrinth. And in the case of Bloodborne, I have to wonder if part of that does come down to that Metroid influence. Because Dark Soul, uh, Darksiders 3 feels... It does feel like if you're designing a Metroid world. Because something I've noticed a lot with uh, the Metroidvania games lately... I've also been playing Hollow Knight, for example. And with Hollow Knight, it feels like each territory is meant to be its own thing. And while it all, they all connect to other areas, you have the tram, tram stations that will connect some zones. You have the, um, the skag stations, which act as a sort of quick travel. And you have multiple ones will connect different areas. They don't interconnect the same way. So it's like, how do I get to this standalone section or this standalone section that all happen to be in one connected, uh, consistent world? Right. Bloodborne is that kind of design as well. It's its own little standalone area. And you can see it in Metroid Fusion or Metroid Other M. You have these standalone sections or even Metroid Prime Echoes. It's like this area is over here. And while we're going to create connections to other areas, it's mostly standalone. Versus like you're playing Super Metroid now. Um, I'm going through Metroid Prime again, and it feels like they try and interconnect the world in more ways, so it feels more tightly packed together, and so you have more shortcuts, so you can go in and out of one zone at any time. Darksiders 3 feels like it's trying to do that Metroid element less than Bloodborne and stuff, so that might actually be the benefit of something like Bloodborne or Hollow Knight, because you have fewer connections to each zone, and that's also where you have like the benefit of fast travel because and if you didn't have fast travel then you'd have to walk okay i gotta go this very long specific path to get over here that the metroid games aren't perfect at not by a long shot in fact there's a lot of areas where i can say they have a problem with that but like if you're playing like like the earliest stages of super metroid you'd be playing now and uh, criteria and Brinstar and the early stages of Norfair, it all kind of flows in with each other a lot better than some other games do. Right. <laughs> you sound like you I, have no thoughts regarding that matter. Well, I... The, the areas of Metra, I don't know them by name very well. So I'm thinking of the beginning area, and yeah, there's... I can think of two elevators to go down to. I think from 
Criteria down to Norfair, there's two elevators that, you know, just different areas that go down and connect into different areas of the same zone. Yeah, and you're also, how far are you in Super Metroid? Um, I... That's we spoke, you got the wave beam. Yeah, I had the wave beam. I was... I played a little bit further, and I was... What is the boss that you have to force to the far end, and they drop into the lava? Krakomire. Yeah, I just did that, and I was I was a little bit further than Krakomire, but not much. Okay. So you've still got a lot of the unlocking to do, because once you... Actually, you might be able to find some of it soon. You are getting close to, I think, the speed boost. Speed so yeah, boost. when you get the speed boost, you'll be able to start breaking through walls and stuff, and you'll like. I've had that some, for a long time. Oh, you did. Oh, then I'm I, I'm misremembering the order in which you get them all. I guess you're uh, getting close to the grapple. Oh, no, you already got the grapple beam. I got the grapple beam before the wave beam. Yeah. See, the order is also messed yeah. up in my mind because I know how to sequence break and get the uh, wave beam early, and that opens up more than you're supposed to see in, in, in that area of Norfair it becomes way less linear and so like I, my mind's a little it's like wait which order is this supposed to be again um, right so, yeah I don't know any of it but okay then you might also see because again like if, in my Metroid Prime Echoes video I talk a lot about loops and stuff and that's where I think as I've talked with you, like Bloodborne does a good job where you loop back to one save point. Like it builds its map so they, the the levels keep looping back in on itself on multiple levels, create shortcuts. Yeah. Darksiders Three has some of that as well. It still has more save points than you'd normally find in a Bloodborne, I think, but you have a lot of areas where it loops back and creates shortcuts just like the Dark Souls or Bloodborne games do which is funny in the Bonelands where after you clear uh, Big Octopus Boy out of the way you just have like th three save points basically back to back to one another like two or three save points right there that are just within the vicinity of one another on but the topic of Darksiders 3 having more than Bloodborne, which I'm pretty sure it does. Uh, I don't know the difference between probably 70% of those save points that you can warp to. Like, I know the area that they're in because it's separated by such, but just looking at the name and the little thumbnail it gives you, I don't know where most of them are. Yeah, that's easier to do that's easier to figure out when you've played the game a second time and therefore it's you you, you start to re recognize and find things familiar but you're right it um then again i kind of have that problem with bloodborne like there there are all kinds of times i warp to the wrong spot i have so, it a little bit with bloodborne but mostly just between the tomb of Odeon and the cathedral ward point because the cathedral ward point actually takes you to the chapel yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, maybe that's also due to familiarity, familiarity for you as well, because you played the game already. You already had one character, and then you and I were playing. Was your mostly second time? Because you got yeah. a decent way into the game before you 
stopped for a while, and now we're both in heading towards yeah, the end game. game. So, which actually, by the time this is live, we might have actually beaten the game. So, um, no, that that is that is a good point. But I think I, I don't know. Like, I feel like we haven't touched too much on gameplay, but we've discussed a lot about it. But at the same time, I want to have some time to discuss the story. Even though there might not technically be much to discuss. Because as you said, like I don't think it's great. But at the same time, I think it hits certain things well. And some of that is the is the voice acting. Um, as you noted, noted, the voice actress for Sloane in Destiny 2... Who, like, I had to think about who that even was for a moment. Uh, the characters that boring in Destiny 2. Does Fury here, and she does a good job, I think. Like, even when the yeah. dialogue is stupid, she's putting her all into it. Yeah, uh, she did a good job voice acting. Um, obviously, uh, Volgrim is Phil Lamar? Phil Lamar, yep. Phil Lamar, he's always great yeah Philomar um, did a few voices it's just Volgrim is the only one I know by like offhand and then the Strife finally has a voice in the series well he's got two voices evidently because well <laughs> his voice in Darksiders 3 is completely different than his voice in Darksiders Genesis really? and I kind of I'm kind I'm gonna be honest making him effectively Cage 6 from Destiny 2 in Darksiders Genesis is probably a good move because hearing him talk in Darksiders 3, like before Darksiders 3, my impression of Strife was always like the quiet one, the one that doesn't really speak much. And evidently in interviews, that's the same thing that Joe Matarera said, the, the artist and co-creator of the series. Um, in his mind, he's like, Strife wasn't really much of a talkative guy, but then when they were doing Genesis... They decided to make him more of a... He's he's the... He's Cade Six. He's the one that's always cracking jokes. Doesn't take anything overly serious. But it's weird because he's a voice actor that sounds like a Nolan North imitator. But is not Nolan North. So it's kind of odd in that regard. Yeah. But... Uh, Otherwise, it is funny when you have um, Darksiders 3, he's like, he's talking gruff or something, or I, I can't exactly remember even how he spoke. And then Darksiders Genesis is completely different. Um, but I think that's a move for the better. That's one of the few things of Darksiders Genesis I could probably say positive about right now. It's another one of those games. Like, that's the only one of the franchise so far that I'm like, this is... Hmm. Not my favorite thing. Um, but uh, moving on from that. Um, yeah, I actually... Because I don't think there's much to discuss regarding the story. Until, unless we get into spoilers. But f I guess first, like... Fury. She's got a character arc. What did you think of it? <laughs> um... I don't know, it's a very odd character arc. Because um, she starts off, you know, obviously angry and furious at absolutely nothing. Yep. And she slowly starts to uh, empath empathize with the humans and their plight and all that jazz. And 
it works out well but the biggest thing that really stands out is in the beginning cutscene her talking to uh, her horse I don't remember the horse's name I don't either Do okay um, and you know saying something to the effect of she'd cut off the horse's head just to not be bored if she wasn't too lazy to do it or something weird like that a joke but now that I think about it yeah it's very uh and then very uh prophetic well prophetic but then just her reaction to you know what happens yeah we're Speaking of spoiler uh, yeah. territory. <laughs> eh. Just cut it out. <laughs> nah, nah, I'll leave it in. Um, Alrighty. It does go it does go to show that it's tough to just because I honestly feel like it's a very forced, obvious character arc. And I still well, feel like Darksiders 2 did that the best, and even Darksiders 2 didn't do it too well. My problem is with the funny thing. My problem with that particular spoiler of the horse, um it's what two hours into the game that this change has happened one to two yeah you never really ever and so there's not really you're never on the horse you're never on the horse correct so there's no real time to develop that change of her character i think it's something that they kind of take for granted given the prior two games and the fact that the like it's been treated as an identity part like, you are a horseman. You must have your horse. And then right. Darksiders 3, you never have a horse. Um, and in some ways it makes sense because the way they were designing the world, there's not enough space for the horse. Like, even if you were to give Fury a horse, then you'd have to create more big, open, expansive areas. And yeah, she could run from the tornado. She, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she would be able to outrun that, wouldn't she? One would hope. Um, but I guess we will go now into full spoilers, um, into discussion. So, if you care about Darksiders 3 story at all, I guess stop here. I mean, we already spoiled, like, one of the big Early things. It was early, yes. It's very, it's very early in the game, but, um... It's before the game technically even starts because you don't even have your first real power yet. So, but still, I mean, turn back now if you actually care. But I don't think a lot of people care about the story of a Darksiders game. So, okay. So, um, as you as you noted, yes, one of the big things is... And again, that's where I give the voice actress credit because even if the moment doesn't really land emotionally, her delivery helps sell it. Because she sounds sincerely angry and upset that someone dared kill her horse. Right. But it's also where they try and do their big conspiracy theory stuff where part of it is that they're just doing like what we already know. Since the first Darksiders game, we knew there was a conspiracy. Here, I feel like they just confirm that it's the three... Like the, the, the I don't want to say they're in on it, but there's... Oh, wait, no, that's if you talk to the Lord of the Hollows, though. The Lord of the Hollows, if you kill the one dude and then go back to the Lord of the Hollows, 
and you don't kill the Lord of the Hollows, he'll start telling you basically he used to be one of the uh, council. He used to be a member of the Charred Council, and he'll explain to you that basically the whole balance thing was kind of the Charred Council trying to manipulate things, uh, yeah. keep humanity down, and just maintain control and power. And maintain the status quo. But the, that's the thing, is they're technically not part of the original conspiracy of the first game, which is... And Ulthane was even part of it. That's why Ulthane is constantly um, trying to uh, make amends. Be it in the first game, this game, which again, actually... One of those stupid little lines where Fury at the very end is like, Ulthane, have you ever run into war? Or if, for whatever reason, if he needs your help, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And it's like, that's some bad retconning, especially when you consider the first thing he does is fight war. Like, yeah, he's like at that point, like Ulthane's so focused on being sec on secluding himself. So Ulthane, by including him in this, they kind of screw with his own role in the story, which is... He helped create the false seal to break and therefore get the Armageddon started. And now he's isolating himself in order to, you know, he's basically uh, he's basically exiled himself out of shame. And like here, on the other hand, he's like, I'm going to help humans. Then I'm going to exile myself out of shame. And it's like, uh. but that's 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 the problem with doing a big timeline. And of course, because. No one even knew if Darksiders 3 would be back. Everyone was just glad to see Ulthane again. Because Ulthane's kind of... He's in the first game. I don't recall if he's in the second game. There are other makers in the second game. But seeing Ulthane again is like, Oh yeah, I like this character. He's fun. He calls angels pigeons. You know, like that kind of a thing. Um, yeah. Which so does Fury, actually. She, didn't call she does, the, uh... doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> she has That's a line that nice says... I smell pigeons. That that's a nice little drop there, um, but to jump back a little bit though, I feel like throwing the whole like angel blade. So it's like the angels killed your horse. Only technically they didn't because there's a further conspiracy to blah blah. Like it feels this is the point where it starts to get convoluted because they're trying to fit it in a timeline because the original Darksiders ends with that promise of them all coming together to fight. Um, which, will we ever get that game? Who knows? But, they definitely sort of... like It's like, if we're going to make a game about Fury, she needs to be doing her own thing, so let's do this. So, I feel like in the greater grand scheme of things, the Lord of the Hollows might have been the best part. Everything involving the conspiracy kind of wasn't. Um, it, it felt kind of just, we gotta make something up to make an excuse for the game to be what it is. In which case, then you have each of the sins chosen because, well, first, that's an easy number of bosses to have and build your game around. But then you also have, well, here's how we can structure our character arc. Have Fury reflect on how each of these sins is a part of herself. See, they could have done all that without having a conspiracy, though. It's they it's easy to hand wave and say, "Hey, the sins got loose at the same time." Basically, yes, there didn't have to be a big conspiracy, or because here's the thing: like the the big uh, twist of the game is Envy is with you the whole time, and she's orchestrating this to collect 
the power of all of her siblings. Like, she's using you yeah. and then steals all of their power and then uses all of your brother's weaponry. Uh, uses all of the other horsemen's weaponry instead of, like, anything... Well, no, she does summon the other uh, sins during yeah. the boss fight. So that, that's it, a really good, fun boss boss fight too. Oh no, it's it is good. Like even I don't remember how I felt the first time. I feel like when I finished the game, I felt like I liked it. But playing the second time, I was like, that is a good boss fight. Like the fight with Pride and the fight with um, Envy at the very end were both very good. Uh, probably two of the best boss fights of the whole game, which I guess works if they're if you're saving them for towards the end yeah and i also like the design for pride though i feel like pride would have been a better design for lust except they were trying to because it's funny like if you look at pride's design she's got some elements of flesh showing she's got the mask to conceal ugliness like it feels like she would have made a better design for a lust but they were trying to and perhaps it's post political bullcrap but they were trying to step away from how can we not make this the lust everyone will expect and i um, feel like there are better ways than doing it then i'm basically a combination of pride and gluttony and greed all at the same time like Lust was very broad to me in this, and just basically generically armored woman. I'm trying to think of which one Lust. Oh, Lust was down in the boat. The one yard. with the other boy. Yeah. yeah, the guy jumps in to fight alongside her. Yeah, Lust was. Not I mean, it says a great design, but it worked. Yeah, I guess I feel like all of them, like even, both forms of envy, are more memorable with the and they don't even really explain that it's like was this an illusion of envies or something with the first one you fight which feels like a dark crystal era henson puppet yes it, it does i i think it's just the creation of envy yeah envy's able was able to make some sort of weird creation or maybe split herself off from her body or something yeah. weird it's definitely because not explained but yeah, the voice actress is the same, though, and that's where, again, I thought it was really nice that it might have been better to have a little bit of, like, like some hints when she's the Watcher, but maybe then again it would have been too obvious, because when you fight Lust, and Lust tells you, like, I could tell you where Envy is, and I'm sitting there like, that was the first one we got, what are you talking about? It feels like yeah. that moment there you could just figure out, because for some reason... Uh, Fury's like not s saying anything until saying he's like I'll find them on my own and it's like but you you already defeated Envy and that's where I started to wonder if maybe there's like something odd going on and that but then it's like there's so much game left that you forget anyway until the right. very end and it's like oh Envy's yeah. not dead then yeah I completely forgot about that know. line um so it's one of those weird areas where I feel like it's a slip up. Like maybe they made a mistake somewhere, but then just people don't notice it. Or maybe it was intentional. Maybe they wanted to have people figure it out because the camera, like Lust looks at the watcher in that moment. So in some ways it's kind of clever. In some ways it's like, is this intentional? Like how much of this is intentional and how much of this is, oh yes, we forgot. Envy's the first boss. So... 
I'm, but no, I'm banking it, on it being intentional. It was probably storyboarded early on, and then they throw that in, and yeah, most players probably aren't going to catch that. Envy isn't actually defeated. Yeah. Um, going back to Pride for a second on her design, her design makes me think of uh, Fulgrim, one of the Primarchs from Warhammer 40k. <laughs> Well, for a minute I thought you said Volgrim, not no, 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 Fulgrim. Not. You said Fulgrim, okay. because his his whole design and thing is he's very prideful, and um, you know he, he's he was known as you know the most beautiful Primarch, long flowing hair and very fair skin and beautiful, and he had golden armor. Huh. And you know, pride was kind of his downfall of sorts as he turned to chaos and all that happy jazz but just the designs make me think of each other well this was also a game where only the only design by Joe Matarera was the um, was the the Furies redesign because her original design didn't have much clothing at all um, but other than that like it's a very interesting it looks like a Darksiders world, but it very clearly doesn't have Joe Matarera's specific touch. I think you see it better in the environmental design than you do in the characters, where again, like, I'm thinking of the different sins, and both um, the original Envy, you see, is has that Dark Crystal Henson Muppet feel, and I also got that more Labyrinth, maybe, but still that Jim Henson feel from... Um, Greed, or what was he called? He was called um, the 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 more clever word for it, um, avarice. Yes, avarice. Um, like he, he had this sort of Henson feel. Wrath is just a big armor guy. His fight was a bit frustrating because you gotta basically just keep laying on the hits and hope that you can outpace him killing the other guys or something like that. Yeah, because he can restore his health a lot. But it, it, it's funny that it's also not very difficult at that point; just time-consuming. Um, I he healed himself once in my game, my playthrough, and he, he was a very easy fight, especially well, compared to when you fight him the first time and he gets away. Did you did you lose all your health when you were fighting him the first time, or did you manage to? knock all his health down because I don't remember if that's one where you can either lose or win it doesn't really matter the same cutscene plays you die you die and you come back and have to fight him again okay so you do have to beat him yeah you have to beat him in the first fight huh I feel like it would make sense if you didn't have to and that is the funny thing too like playing this game again the difficulty is highest at its start with the exception of when you jump into Wrath's area, and especially the guys with the horns. Those guys were the worst enemy in the game, hands down. Yes. Bar none. Yeah, um, they've got the shield, they've got the horn, to summon an infinitely guys, respawning yeah. amount of backup. And this is a game where, yeah, I wish I would discuss this during the gameplay portion, this is a game where I discovered the value of kiting enemies away from groups so you don't have to deal with whole hordes of them at once because that's how you die. And that's like playing character action games. That's how I approached it at first. 
just going in. Oh, look, enemies. Let me take them all at once. Oh, I can't dodge them all because they're attacking at the same time. This stinks. And right. then, you know, this time learning, oh, no, you got to kite them, fight them one at a time. And that's why, again, like when I was playing Bloodborne and I see like a whole street full of guys, I know, OK, I want to kite some of these guys and take them one at a time. Though I did a bit better in my second play, th the second playthrough I started, but regardless, um, you 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 learned that whole kiting thing, and then this enemy gets rid of that. You can't kite, you can't do any of that stuff, and it's just frustrating. Removing that mechanic isn't bad in its own right. Uh, him being an extremely, extremely tough opponent is what makes the removal of the kite mechanic poor. Uh, yes. A, a good comparison is in uh, Bloodborne, Yahargul, the Unseen Village, the bell ringers that keep summoning uh, more and more enemies. So you, you, you can't ever kill all the enemies until you go kill the bell ringer. But the bell ringer is very easy to kill. You just have yes. to get to her. Yes. And this game has an enemy that is instead supremely armed. And you can't interrupt his attack. Like, if there's a way to do so, I don't know. Because every time he pulled that horn out, I'd, like, lay into him. I would activate uh, her, uh, her, um, her, Havoc. I can't remember the name of it. Havoc form? Yes, I'd activate, activate her Havoc form, the devil trigger, basically, and just lay on the guy, and he would not flinch when blowing that horn. It didn't do a difference. So no. that's, like, if that game allowed you... Like, if that was the If, that was if the you key, could flinch like, him, it would be a lot better. Yes, because then it's like, you, if heck, if anything, it's like you wait for him to pull out the horn so he opens himself up so he becomes vulnerable. Then it becomes about sneaking up on him, making sure he doesn't see you so he doesn't, you know, blow the horn early on and then, you know, create distance between you and him. But instead, because he doesn't flinch during that, because he's always got that shield, because he's a bullet sponge, it's just the most poorly designed enemy in the game. Mm -hmm. um, without a doubt so um, I felt like I had more to talk about with the story but maybe uh, not do you any 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 thoughts on the story anything you want to say anything you haven't gotten to say um, I'm trying to think of anything in particular I mean uh, other than the you know the twist of Envy being with us the whole time, and I, I actually really like the twist. Um, I think that is probably the best part of the game story, is that twist. Yeah, it really does come out of nowhere. Well, not quite, as it turns out. Because well, especially when we were playing, um, well, we were playing separately, of course, but at some point you asked me, you were like, was it the relationship between... The watcher, more the watcher, like more antagonistic or something. Like, was it really th like this? Like, because it felt different yeah. to you. And it's like, meanwhile, I'm sitting there like, hee hee, I know exactly why. Uh, yeah, you, you gave me some sort of non-answer of, oh, well, they've got a different <laughs> dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> and they do. They have a very different dynamic. Yes. Um, I, I did go back to Darksiders 1 and started a uh, game in that. And yeah, immediately the Watcher is extremely antagonistic to war. And you know, hey, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to hurt you. And he does. 
Meanwhile, Envy as the Watcher is very much trying to appeal to Fury's pride, which in some ways makes sense because what you find, like, it's a different mentality because what would Envy expect to work? And it try, they try and create that dynamic. It's like Envy, by the end of the game, is where Fury starts because Envy wants to be the top dog of the other sins. She's tired of being on the bottom. Fury wants to be the leader of the horsemen. She's tired of just being a, you know, whatever she was. Like Which you is have, what you have this shows her. Yes. Um, and again, it's a great delivery, even if it's not the greatest line, you shouldn't have made them kneel. Like, I... It's one of those things where it's like, I feel like this line could be good, but for some reason it feels stupid. The um, delivery was good, but it was the wrong sword delivery, I think. That, yes, that probably is true. So it would go to the director, because again, the delivery, like, it doesn't feel like bad delivery either. Right. It's just... It may be as a snarl, like you shouldn't have made them kneel kind of a thing, instead of screaming it in anger. Um, but regardless, um, Envy is basically trying to appeal to Fury as opposed to establish... But then again, again, it is a different dynamic too, because the whole thing with war is he's guilty until proven innocent. And... As a result, like even the like the Chard Council doesn't like him, doesn't trust him. He's viewed as guilty by everybody, so it doesn't make it, it doesn't. It's a bit of a it's not a surprise, and it also allows War to be tempted by the power that the demons may promise, kind of a thing. Even though War is just going to do what he ought to do, regardless. Um. So with. Envy, though, yeah, she, she she definitely has a different personality and dynamic and way of speaking, but you will still find moments throughout the game where you can tell that she hates Fury, and I think that was really... They did a good job with it, I think. If yeah. nothing else, I think everything regarding Envy is probably where the best writing in this game went. Uh, I agree. And again, though, I wouldn't exactly say this is a... Th th this story goes... Like, yeah, it, it's still a dark side of story, and it's probably one of the weaker ones, but upon replay, I think it starts worse than it ends, is the thing. Like, it, when it starts in the beginning, it's like, oh, this is some bad dialogue. Oh, this is some bad characterization. Oh, I don't think I like Fury. And I'm still not sure what I think of Fury. It's just by the end... She's more tolerable, but it's also like I have it's like I have developed a character arc. My character arc is this, this and this. It is embodied by every villain that I've fought. And it's like so on the nose and obvious that yeah. it's like they're it's like they're explaining to the audience. This is what a character arc is. This is how it can be executed. This is the role antagonists play in a character arc. Like it, it feels so very by the numbers in that regard. That it's hard to know what I feel about Fury, which is kind of a shame because, again, like, War is also kind of, like, just a character. Maybe that's part of the problem is War and Fury kind of feel like gender-bent, the same character, two different genders. With one exception, War is very much about his duty. Fury is very much just about, like, she's Raphael. She's the Raphael of the group. Um, yeah. 
And as a result, it's like they don't differentiate enough, which is, again, why I'm glad that Strife is different now in Darksiders Genesis, because D Death is thus far the best developed one, and in part because he's kind of got this sardonic wit. Um, it's not completely sarcastic, but he, he's definitely got a personality to him, and... He's the one, if you play Darksiders 2, he's the one that is driven by a sense of good while also having that tortured element because of, you know, him and his siblings having to kill the other Nephilim of their kind. Unfortunately, as I wrote about on my blog some time ago, they kind of didn't do a good job of presenting that arc. Um... But it's still there. It's still what Darksiders 2 is built off of and what makes Death the best character, even if he... Well, the best of the Horsemen so far, even if his game is not as good as Wars or Furies. Um, will Darksiders Genesis count as Strifes? I don't know, because it's not Darksiders 4. They've specified that. What they'll do in the future, I don't know. But So, any final thoughts? Uh... I look forward to eventually playing Darksiders 4. I don't know that I'll play Darksiders Genesis, though. And I don't blame you, because... I'd probably enjoy it a lot more with co-op, but... That's a probably, that's not a guarantee. And it's like... There are so many things... Like we could play Rem more Remnant from the Ashes, also by Gunfire Games. So, yeah. it's like there's a whole bunch of stuff we could do. So, for me, yeah, I mean, I'll finish Darksiders Genesis. I'll probably have some write-up about that at some point. Um, which, I do have a write-up on RamblePack64.com about Travis Strikes Again. So, if you haven't checked that out, check it out. Um, but otherwise, I think that about wraps it up for discussing Darksiders 3. And who knows, maybe we'll then have a Bloodborne spoiler podcast at some point. Because um, we're just about done that, too. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. And thank you, of course, Nolan, for joining me, giving Steve a bit of a vacation. Hey, no problem. All right. So thank you for listening, everyone. Have a good night. <laughs>